0: My name's Travis, I'm one of the pastors. And uh, I'll be speaking uh, from the scriptures this morning. Um there is a there, there is a sort of uh, PMS that, that preachers experience. It's 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 uh, Rick Rick Warren describes it as pre message syndrome where you're staring at your message going, I'm not sure there's anything here. I don't know why. I'm getting up in front of people and talking. Um, and I was experiencing uh, quite a bit of PMS this morning, <laughs> pre-message uh, syndrome. And um, I, I, I was reminded of this passage. Um, that, that I think makes a very bold claim. And the claim is that whatever is without faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. I don't know what you would describe as sin. Typically we think of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I, I don't typically think of things done without faith necessarily. But we know that at the root of most sin is unbelief. That we're not believing God, not believing that he is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, and that he's going to follow through and and fulfill his promises. We're not counting on him, um, we're exploring other options. That's what we're doing uh, when we sin, and so I I felt like the Lord um, asked me in pre-service prayer um, to preach his people back into a place of faith. The problem was I was staring at my message going, I'm not sure if this can do that, but I will trust you, God, that you're able to do this with that, because whatever is not of faith is sin. So we're not here out of some ritual, and I'm not interested in hearing myself talk. I feel rather sick of myself uh, this morning. I don't want to hear me. Um, I want to hear him. Would you join me in prayer? Faith comes from hearing from His Word. And I want to hear from Him. Jesus, our hearts explode when we see You for who You really are, as Tiffany just said and prayed. Our hearts also explode when we hear from You. Just to hear Your voice. Our joy is made complete when we hear Your voice. So I just want to ask that You would speak to every heart here. That it, it, it wouldn't uh, be uh, my words that would have an impact. It would be your words. That you would come and minister to every heart here. Holy Spirit, invite you to move. We want you here. We want your conviction in our lives because we know that there can't be any conversion, there won't be any change without your conviction. So we want your conviction. We actually want you to search us and know us, see if there's anything in us that needs to be dealt with. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began a series on the heart, if you were here. um, We are emphasizing the heart here at Radiant in this season because the Bible emphasizes the heart. That word... Heart appears over 900 times in your Bible, over 77 times just in the book of Proverbs. It's important. The state of your heart is important to God. He doesn't look at your appearances. God is not impressed with the things that people are usually impressed with. God doesn't look at the things that people usually look at. He's looking into your heart. Chronicles tells us that He's searching for hearts that are fully committed to Him. Not only is He searching for hearts, you've you've experienced Him searching your heart. you experienced this before where things are being revealed to you. God's showing you things about what's going on on the inside. Um, Jesus who is God in the flesh, also stressed the importance of the heart. Virtually every sermon is a state of the heart address. Virtually every time he's asked a question, he brings it back to the heart of the matter. People are arguing, squabbling over petty things, and he brings it back to the heart over and over again. According to Jesus, this is, I found this very profound, According to Jesus, every problem you have is a heart problem. Every issue you face is a heart issue. You don't have a problem with your mouth. You have a problem with your heart because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So it's like, I just got a foul mouth. It's like, no, you've got a foul heart, and then your mouth speaks that. It's worse than you actually think. <laughs> don't worry, there's, there's good news. It just gets bad for a minute, you know. He also said you don't have a money problem because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So your issue is not with debt or spending or materialism. Your issue is a heart uh, issue. And so Jesus was always bringing it back to this. Jesus arguing with these religious folk and these religious folk believed then what religious folk believe today, which is that I'm all good in here and the problems out there. And if I could just stay away from what's out there, then I can stay all good in here. The problem is out there. And Jesus says some profound things to this group of people, and I believe he would say it to us as well. He called the people together in the middle of this argument about diet, in the middle of this argument about what defiles a man. He's like, "Okay, listen, I'm sick of this conversation. That's not in the Bible. I made that up. He called them together and he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, don't just hear me, and not just for some of you, it's not just for the religious folk, hear me, all of you, and don't just hear it, understand what I'm saying to you, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? That's funny. And He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. And adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus says to this group of people gathered, hey, look, it's, it's not what's outside that's the problem. It's what's inside that's the problem. Oh, well, there is a problem, but it's an inside job. And I don't know how many of you relate to your issues this way because I tend to think, well, the problem is out there and look what you made me do. And if you weren't around, I would have a good heart. But instead, I have an angry heart because of you out there. And if you just stay away from me, well, then I can keep things all good. in here, not true. The people out there just get at the stuff that is in here jesus is wanting to get at the stuff that's in here this is how profound this is the issue jesus says is not alcohol the issue is not alcohol alcohol in itself is not sin the issue is not staying away from alcohol the issue is what's going on in here when you reach out for alcohol I don't care if it's a beer or a six pack or a 12 pack. What's going on in here is the issue. Leave alcohol out of it for now. Why are you reaching out for it? What is going on on the inside? Why do you want to feel something? Why do you want to have something? Why do you want to be something? We began uh, the series by hearing a charge from Proverbs 4 that says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That's kind of the verse that kickstarted this whole sermon series. Keep your heart with all vigilance. The original text actually says more than all vigilance. That's why the NIV says, Above all else, guard your heart. It essentially says more than all keeping, more than all guarding. Keep and guard your heart. We're super busy keeping a hundred things, right? Keep up on emails. Keep up on industry standards. Keep a job. Keep your body so that you can keep a spouse. Keep smiling. Keep people happy or else you're going to hear about it. Keep your kids from thrashing things. There's so many things to keep. And what this guy is charging us with, encouraging us with, is that more than all keeping, you should keep your heart. When we talk about the heart, we're not just talking about your emotions and your affections and your feelings, although it includes those things. It's much more than that. The biblical definition of heart is talking about the sum and total of who you are, the essence of who you are, what makes you you is your heart heart a biblical definition of the heart includes your mind it includes your will the choices that you make it includes your emotions and it includes your personality again the sum and total of who you are you are who you are in your heart and this proverb gives us a powerful picture of why why we should keep our hearts with all vigilance why more than all keeping we should keep our heart right is because our life is a river And our heart is the source of that river. From your heart flow things. And those things reach out and have an impact for better or for worse. So if there is envy and bitterness in your heart, guess what? It flows downstream. It reaches us even when you're not talking about it. It's contaminated at the source, it flows from the source, and it reaches to impact people. If there's worry and fear in your life, it flows from your heart and it reaches to have an impact on others. This is the beautiful picture that the proverb gives us. If you have joy and peace, thankfulness in your heart, it flows from your heart and it flows out and it has an impact on others, bringing life. This week, we're coming out of another very familiar proverb. If you're a church person, you've, you've read this, you've heard this before. If you're a church person, it might be on the coffee cup that you brought to church this morning. If you're a church person, then it might be on your letterman's jacket at home. We're coming, of course, out of Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. I feel prompted to speak on the issue of trusting the Lord with all your heart. First, because as we go forward, every issue will boil down to an issue of trust. If Jesus is right and every issue you have is a heart issue, I'm telling you that every heart issue that you have is probably a trust issue. So when we talk about unforgiveness, I'm going to ask you to trust the Lord who says vengeance is mine. Stop. Stop taking vengeance. Stop withholding. Don't do that. But in order for you not to do that, you're going to have to trust Him who said, hey, trust me. I keep score better than you. No, you don't. No, you don't. You pardoned everyone. You died on a cross. I don't like your scorekeeping. I'd rather keep score. When we talk about worry and fear, I'm going to ask you to trust the Lord. So before we talk about all the things that we want to talk about, you know, and deal with, you've got to deal with this. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path Straight. Um, what I mean for those of us in church world, I mean what I guess I was asking myself what the, what does that mean? Trusting the Lord, are you trusting the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? I I, I wanted to put in front of us as a church um, some some markers some things that we could take a look at and ask ourselves the question are we trusting the lord is this lip service and our hearts are far from him or are we actually saying we trust the lord and and actually that is the truth of our hearts the reality the essence of who we are is a person trusting the lord what does it mean to trust we are I'd like to think we at Radiant Church invite people into a growing relationship with Jesus. We're excited about you coming here just as you are. Come as you are, and then don't stay that way. We're trying to create a culture here where you can come. Come with all your questions, come with all your doubts, come skeptical, come hating it, come thinking this is lame. Come. Come as you are. Come with your sin, come with your fears. Come with your spouse, come with your kids, come just as you are. And then we're also trying to create a culture of growth. Please don't stay that way. Don't. Grow. Any relationship that's growing is growing in trust. That's it. Trust is the air that relationships breathe. You show me a growing relationship. Take God out of this for a second. Any relationship that's growing in your life is growing because it's growing in trust. Any relationship in your life that's stuck and struggling is stuck and struggling because it's struggling in the area of trust. Trust is the bottom line. Growing in certainty. Growing in confidence. Growing in assurance. Banking more and more on this person. Relying more and more on this person. When it comes to a growing relationship, trust is... Is incredibly important. I would submit to you if you're stuck in struggling in your relationship with God, if things haven't changed for 25 years. I would submit to you that you're stuck in struggling in the area of trust. You don't believe him to be who he says he believes, who he says he is, and you don't believe him to do what he said he would do. That's what's potentially uh, going on for you. You have to know this morning. That you serve a God who wants to grow in relationship with you. He's wanting to grow in relationship with you and so He is asking you to trust Him. And there's a lot of things that we're growing in relationship with and there's a lot of things that we're trusting in. We have a God who's saying, grow in your relationship with Me and trust in Me. You also need to know this morning that you have an enemy, that there is an adversary, someone who's set himself up against what God wants to do in your life. There is an enemy who wants to stop and stunt that growth, and because he wants to stop and stunt growth in your life, he accuses God night and day. And when he accuses God, you start to question God. You don't want to put your confidence in Him. And you start looking for alternatives. Other things that you can trust in. Other people that you can count on. And so because the enemy wants to stunt the growth that's going on in your life, what he does is accuse God night and day, causing you to question God and to look for something else. A sort of antichrist. Now, we're all watching TV, looking for the Antichrist, trying to figure out who the Antichrist might be. But that word anti doesn't just mean against Christ. It means instead of Christ, alternative Christ, an alternative and instead of Jesus. And so while we're all looking for the Antichrist, we're all embracing these instead of Christ's all these false messiahs that promise to save us that ask us to put our trust in them jared did an amazing job um, receiving the offering last week because he was talking about money and he was talking about what money says to us and maybe some of you were like what in the world and jared's like money is talking believe me your money is talking your money is talking it is saying something to you it's beckoning For your trust. It's wanting you to put your confidence in it. And so, what Jared shared is that as we give, what we're doing is taking that voice and we're submitting it to his voice. We're saying, No, God provides. God's going to rescue us. God is our salvation. Money doesn't provide. Money's not going to save. Money's not our salvation. And that's what we do when we give. We're dethroning money, we're putting our trust in him. So, I want you to know as we go forward in this series on the heart that you have an enemy. That this will not be a walk on a beach. When you go into the Christian bookstore, you see all kinds of really unhelpful images of like beautiful landscapes and deers sipping water. Lots of eagles. Just a lot of coasting eagles. You don't go into the Christian bookstore and see a pigeon just busting. (laughs) You know, it's like it's always some, you know, just effortless, you know, thing. And and it's not helpful. Look. Your Christian walk is not a walk on the beach. Your Christian walk is not a walk on the beach. That's why we go for walks on the beach, because life is not like a walk on the beach. So we have to go walk on the beach to try to get sane again it's war keep your heart with all vigilance this is a fight you have an enemy someone who is dead set against you growing in trust this is not panting by streams of still water you know this is a fight and you need to know that you have an enemy this message is not about him but I do want to say to you that I understand his tactics to be to accuse God and to accuse people night and day. To cause you to question God and question the people who are around you. And then when you've questioned it enough, you start looking. You quit on the things that you question, typically. Questioning is just the beginning of quitting. Why am I working out again? Why am I eating right? I haven't lost weight in three weeks. Guess what that turns into? Quit. That turns into in and out That's what that <laughs> turns into. So if you... <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, he's got, he's got good tactics. They work. He causes you to question, and then he just walks away. You start questioning, and then you start quitting. After you start quitting, you start looking for alternatives because we are worshipers. You will worship something. And so then he'll present alternatives. So it's like, hey, does that really work? Maybe you should try this. Put your confidence in this. And the Bible talks about how the devil uh, works as the prince of this world. So the world and its values system designed by him. They work in harmony together with one another, appealing to your flesh. It's like this demonic trinity of sorts. The devil The world and your flesh come together to make the axis of evil. His tactics are the same in every generation. He didn't need to upgrade when the internet came out. His tactics are the same in every generation. We're not unfamiliar. We're not ignorant of his schemes. We know how he does what he does. If there's anything good to say about the devil, it's that he's entirely predictable. This is how he works. And the reason he doesn't need to upgrade, the reason is he doesn't need a 2.0, is because it still works. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it keeps working, even though we're aware of his schemes, even though We'll talk openly about what he's trying to do in your life. It will most likely still work. So it's not like he's got it. Well, man, I got to come. I got to come up with something fresh, man. This is getting old. Everyone's catching on to me. It's still working. He has no new temptations. He has no new tactics. There won't be there won't ever be a week where I as a pastor pray for you coming forward and you tell me, look, he's up to something new. Never been seen before. Okay? This temptation is like no temptation any man has ever experienced. This is something new altogether. That will never happen. It will be the same temptations. And He will come after you in the same three ways over and over again. 1 John 2.16 Don't love the world. Do not love the world. Or anything in the world If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Verse 16 For everyone, for sorry, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Before we talk about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and the same old temptations that people have faced for thousands of years, I want to talk about the world. What are we talking about here? Some of you who, uh, you know, you might not know a lot of Scripture, but you do know one Scripture that says, for God so loved the world, and now we're reading in 1 John, not to love the world. And you're probably asking yourself, which one is it? Am I supposed to love the world or love not the world? Am I supposed to love the world or hate the world? What's going on? I'm confused here. The truth is, is that you're supposed to love the people of the world. For God so loved the people of the world. And you are to hate the world's value system. Love not the value system of this world. The problem is with most Christians is that we've got it completely backwards. We love the value system of this world. We're completely bought and sold. And we hate the people. If I could just get away from the people, just be with this value system, I'd be great. Love the people of the world. Hate the value system of this world. It's passing away. You will be tempted over and over again by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel something. The lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel something. Have you ever been that place where there is something crying out from inside of you that says, I want to feel something? You're spent. You're exhausted. You're empty. And there is something coming up in you that says, I want to feel good. You're incredibly vulnerable in that state. And there is a temptation that comes. It's the lust of the flesh. When we say lust of the flesh, everybody thinks sex. It's not just sex. It can be sex. But it's anything that you go to when you're in that state of saying, I want to feel good. What is it for you? I want to feel good, where and what am I going to eat? I want to feel good, where and what am I going to drink? I want to feel good, what am I going to watch? It's anything that you go to when you're in that state of going, I want to feel something. The lust of the flesh is the desire to feel something. The lust of the eyes is the temptation to have something. You see it and you want it. You see it and it captures your imagination and you desire it. The lust of the eyes is the temptation to have something. The lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel something. The lust of the flesh has to do with your passions. The lust of the eyes has to do with possessions. It has to do with greed. Jesus said to them, watch out, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out, there will forever be a temptation to feel something and there will forever be temptation to have something. I see it and I want it. The temptation or the pride of life is the temptation to be something. You want to feel something. You want to have something. You want to be something. If the lust of the flesh has to do with your passions and the lust of the eyes has to do with possessions, the pride of life has to do with a position or a status that you want. It's sex, salary, and status. It's if you could feel something, you could have something, and you could be something. And not only are we on to the enemy's schemes, but the whole world of marketing is on to his schemes. Every ad you see encourages you to feel something, have something, so that you can be something. Everyone. I was listening to Rick Warren talk, and he said that he started a game with his kids where he would drive through the L.A. area, and if they spotted That's lust of the eyes. That's lust of the flesh. That's the pride of life. While looking at billboards as they drove down the 405, he'd pitch him a nickel. Until he realized that was materialism, that they were (laughs) doing that for stuff. Seriously, look at ads. Look at at ads and go, am I being tempted to feel something? Am I being tempted to have something? Am I being tempted so that I can be something is this passion that they're appealing to is this possessions that they're appealing to or is this position that they're appealing to are we dealing with sex salary or status here virtually every ad touches on one of those things um can i can i show you that this isn't like a new thing that marketing didn't come up with this if you want, you can turn in your Bible to Genesis 3. Genesis is a book of beginnings, and we'll be in the beginning of Genesis. Talking about the devil and the first time he caused problems and how he caused those problems. It will throw it up on the screen if, if you uh, don't have a Bible. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Notice the temptation to be. To be something. Notice the temptation for position, status. Knowing good and evil. When the woman saw with her eyes that the fruit of the tree was good for food, And pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's the status that we're looking for. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So we see that this fruit was pleasing to the eye, right? We're talking about the lust of the eyes, it was desirable. I love that line in a Wilco song that says, when the devil came, he was not red. He was chrome. And he said, come with me. Something appealing. And it was also good for food. She knew that this satisfied. That it just didn't look good. That it also would satisfy. That they would feel something. And they also would gain something of a position. The pride of life was at work in this. They would be as God. So here is the temptation. Feel something. Have something. Be something from the very beginning. Jesus led out into the desert. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. No food for 40 days, and the temptation comes at the end. The temptation comes when you're spent. The temptation comes when you're hungry. And often the temptation plays off of very legitimate desires. Was there anything wrong with Jesus being hungry? Absolutely not. Totally a legitimate longing, Totally a legitimate desire that the enemy is asking Jesus to fulfill in an illegitimate way. It always, when it comes to your passions, it's playing off a legitimate passion asking you to fulfill it in an illegitimate way. When we're talking about having things and being something, these are legitimate desires that you have that your enemy is looking to present alternatives for At the end, he says, hey, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. First temptation, Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place next and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left until an opportune time. The first temptation that comes Jesus' way is what? Turn these stones into bread. The temptation here, the temptation that comes is to feel something. The temptation is satisfy yourself. Is there anything wrong with Jesus turning bread into stones or turning stones into bread? Anything wrong with that? I I don't necessarily think so. I think that what was the issue was is that God gave Jesus the ability to turn stones into bread for the glory and good of God and others, and what the enemy is coming to do is say, Jesus, use your gifting to satisfy yourself. Use your gifting to meet your needs. And you will be tempted over and over again to use the gifts that God's given you to satisfy yourself, to meet your needs. The gifts that were given to Jesus were given to Him. To meet the needs of others. And it's the enemy coming and saying. Satisfy yourself. Don't trust God to satisfy you. You take it. You satisfy yourself. You use the gifts he's given you. For you. You use the gifts that have been given to you. To meet your needs. Jesus obviously stands. Trust the Lord. in that temptation. Trust that the Lord is going to satisfy him trust that he doesn't have to meet his own needs or satisfy himself how do you do trusting the lord in that way when you're tempted to feel something when you're tempted to satisfy yourself when you're tempted to reach out and make it happen are you trusting the lord to satisfy you or are you using your gifts and your strengths to satisfy yourself look this is ridiculous to think that the enemy only tempts you an area of weakness He'll actually tempt you in your strengths. He'll tempt you in your strengths to satisfy yourself. You make it happen. You can do it. The second temptation that comes his way is to have something. Am I right? He's, it's lust of the eyes. Takes him up, shows him all the kingdoms of the world at once and says, so Jesus... Sees it. Because he shows it to him. And then he says, you can have it. You can have this. If you bow down and worship me. The second temptation that comes Jesus' way is to have something. Not to just feel satisfied. But to have something. And here's the amazing part of this. Is that Jesus would ultimately have all of these things. Jesus would ultimately be satisfied. Jesus would would ultimately have authority. And Jesus would ultimately be worshipped. Again, the temptation is to take a shortcut. To take these legitimate things that God wants to do and do them in an illegitimate way. To not trust the Lord's timing, but to make this happen on your own. Angels will worship you. You throw yourself down. You will be tempted over and over again to show off so that you can be something. Jesus, over and over again, they're like, do do the tricks. Do the tricks so that they'll worship you. Do it. It's in your best interest. You'll be tempted over and over again to show off in order to be liked. You'll be tempted over and over again to fake it in order to be loved. You'll be tempted over and over again to agree with things that you don't agree with, so you will not be rejected. You will be tempted to not just feel something or have something. You'll be tempted to be something that you're not. And Jesus stands and He trusts the Lord. And He stands on our behalf and He succeeds in all the ways that we've failed. But the same three temptations are coming your way over and over again. The temptation to feel something, the temptation to have something, the temptation to be something. And then they all work together. That if you have this, you'll feel this, and then you'll be this. You'll be the man. You'll be in a convertible somehow. You don't even have one, but you'll be in a convertible. He stood and he trusted the Lord. I mean, how, how do we know that we're trusting God with all of our hearts? And how do we fight these three temptations that are always coming our way? How do we stand? What's the prescription? How do we war? If we have an enemy who's constantly bombarding us and we're supposed to love not the world, then how do we stand against the world and its systems and its schemes and its constant bombarding uh, us? I want to prescribe three things. To the lust of the flesh, I want to prescribe integrity, a life of integrity. To the lust of the eyes, the desire to have something, I believe the Bible prescribes generosity. And to the desire to be something, I want to prescribe humility. That when we wage war, we don't just hunker down, but we move in an opposite spirit. Not only are we not giving in to this, we're going to do the opposite of this. We're going to live our lives with integrity because we know the lust of the flesh is always coming our way. We're going to live our lives with generosity because we know there's this constant temptation for possession. And we're going to live our lives with humility because we know there's a t- constant temptation for position. We're going to wage war against sex, salary, and status by living with integrity, generosity, and humility. Why, why is the prescription for the lust of the flesh integrity? I think many of us have probably heard that integrity ha- has to do with like who you are when no one's looking. Anybody heard that? Um, I think a lot of us uh, make a strong connection between t- integrity and, and honesty. And I believe that it is that, but it's more than that. Integrity has to do with wholeness. Has to do with wholeness. That you are who you are no matter where you are. Let me put it this way. That when integrity speaks to a whole, if you've compartmentalized your life, you've lost your integrity. If you've compartmentalized your life and there's like, There's like church when I have my nicest shirt on and I smile. And then there's work. There's work on Monday, but then there's also this compartment that's work on Friday. And I'm a different guy on Monday than I am on Friday because there's blue jeans on Friday. And I'm a different guy with friend group number one. And then I'm a totally different guy at home. I'm just totally depressed. And then with friend group number two because those are my Christian friends, I'm this guy. The second you've separated your life The second you've compartmentalized your life, you've lost your integrity. You are no longer an integrous person. A person who has integrity has wholeness. Okay? And the reason that I would prescribe integrity to this issue of the lust of the flesh is because many of us have compartmentalized our lives. And we think, we think, that we can have private sin in our life and that it's personal and that it doesn't affect the other cubicles, the other compartments. You believe the Titanic myth. The Titanic myth is that the Titanic was an unsinkable ship. The reason the Titanic was an unsinkable ship is because they compartmentalized the whole. And the belief was this this ship can take on water without sinking. And for those of you who've compartmentalized your life, you think that you can take on water in one area of your life without sinking the ship. It's nonsense. Your sin is private, but it's certainly not personal. It's having an impact on everybody else in the boat. Oh, I can just have this compartment of my life, this little secret spot, and I can take on water, and I can entertain some thoughts that maybe I should be dealing with. And I can entertain some drink. And I can take things in. And it won't have an impact on my marriage. And it probably won't touch my kids. And the people at church won't know any different. And with friend group one, I'll act like this. And with friend group two, I'll act like this. If you've compartmentalized your life, you've lost your integrity. You cannot take on water in one area of your life without it sinking the whole ship. For those of you fighting, being tempted... In the area of the lust of the flesh, live a life of integrity, a life of wholeness. Come clean. You can't secretly harbor thoughts about that man or woman and think that you can just take in a little water without it sinking your ship. Just a drink here or there, or just a. Certainly, certainly that won't affect the other areas of my life. It's totally private right now. You're not talking to anyone about it, but it's not personal. It's affecting other people around you. It's affecting other relationships. I'd invite you to unseparate your whole. Don't believe that myth. The second thing uh, that I want to prescribe to the lust of the eyes, that desire to see it and want it, is generosity. That we wage war against this when we're generous. When we open our hands with what we've got, we deal a blow to materialism. Listen, and and this, this might be really difficult to hear, if you don't trust God with your money, you don't trust God. It's just it's just ridiculous to come together week after week and to trust him for uh, this little place called heaven. You trust him to have made a place called heaven. We've never seen it and you say you believe in it. It's weird. Really? It's crazy. Most people think you're crazy. Trust him for heaven. Not only did he make the heavens, but he made the earth. You believe that God created and designed this planet. That's, it's unreal. You're the furthest thing from narrow-minded, in my opinion. Don't tolerate anyone calling you narrow-minded. Tell them that you believe that a God spoke this into existence. I don't think that's narrow-minded at all. I think that's pretty crazy. You, you trust Him for your uh, eternal salvation. Or so you say. You trust Him for your eternal salvation. And then you don't trust Him with your money? Uh, I don't know. That's, w- that's weird. That's weird. I'd trust Him with your money. And I would say that if you don't trust Him with your money, you don't trust Him at all. It's just something your dollars say. Become more and more generous. Every time we give, we're saying, I trust God. Every time we give, we're saying, I trust Him as my provider, as my provision. For God so loved the world that He attended our services. For God so loved the world that He gave us a book. For God so loved the world that He gave he gave. He gave Himself. You can't love Him without giving. You can't love Him without giving. You can give without loving for sure, but you cannot love without giving. For God so loved the world that He gave. Continue to open your hands with your time. Don't buy into scarcity. Trust the Lord that He is who He says He is and He will provide for you in the way that He said He would provide. The answer to the pride of life is humility walking in humility and humility for many of us you know i don't know what your the way you think about humility humility is not i suck that is not what humility is humility is not denying your strengths you don't have to deny your strengths to be a humble person but you do have to own your weakness and you're a mixture of both you're a mixture of both strengths And weaknesses. This word humility we get from humus. Which is dirt. From the dirt. I'm dirt. God's breathed life into me. But from the dust we have come. We also get our word for humor. Out of this word. And you know that you're humble. If you can laugh at yourself. When people poke at you. You don't get all butt hurt you know but you know that's true that's true hey listen I wish that this weren't true what I'm about to tell you this may be the truest thing I'm a, I say in my sermon and I wish it wasn't but you minister out of your weakness more than you do out of your strengths I hate that it's uncomfortable You know, I I can get up here and and tell, you know, all these, you know, stories and it's like, whatever. And then I can hop up here and talk about my struggle and I have everybody's attention. Connecting with everyone. You'll minister more out of your weakness than you will out of your strengths. If you figure out a way to undo that, then let me know. (laughs) I am growing weary of weakness. I hate it. If you're not being honest about your weakness, the truth is, is that you're probably dealing with a fear of man, which is again a desire to be something. You want to be liked, you want to be well thought of, you don't want to be that guy, you don't want to be that girl, you want to be this, you want to be that. And you're buying into the temptation of the pride of life that you want to be something. So Be humble. So how do you know if you're trusting God? I would ask you, are you living with integrity? Where do you go when you want to feel something? How do you know if you're trusting God? Are you walking in generosity? What do you do with what you have? How do you know if you're trusting God? Are you walking in humility? Owning your weakness, being honest about your shortcomings. I would ask you those questions. I don't know, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm doing it. I don't know if I'm trusting God. I would ask you, I would say, show me your checkbook. Talk to me about what goes on when you want to feel. And where are you going with this deep desire for position, for status to be thought of in this way? What are you getting identity from? And I could probably, based on those Three questions. Answer the question if you're trusting God with all your heart. Worship team, would you guys come? My invitation today is to actually trust God with what you feel, trust Him to satisfy you. My invitation to you today is to trust God with what you have, walk in generosity. My invitation to you today is to trust God with all, you, all that you want to be, your very identity. And what we're going to do, Mike, Monica, the team, they're going to lead us in worship together. And during that worship time, a group of people will come forward. That group of people are people that we've trained to pray, people who we trust to pray. And I would say to you that if you're here this morning and you're not trusting in God, You're not walking in integrity. There's compartments in your life. You're not walking in generosity. You're holding on to what you got. And you're not walking in humility. You're walking in the pride of life, looking for status and position, looking for people to give you something. Then I would invite you to get some prayer. What a great way to be humble. What a great way to not hide what's going on privately for you. I don't know what you're doing or where you're going, but I'd love you to come up and receive prayer. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time. To find, though I love the flowers and trees, and the smell of the grinding sea, and all the beautiful things here in life. And I